the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You will receive this power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Listen, Jesus is gathering with his people, his peeps. And you know what he promises? His power. And that's not changed in 2,000 years. When you gather in the name and the presence and the honor of Jesus, he always promises his power. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. If I've heard it once, I've heard it, what is it, a thousand times. I love God. I just don't like church. Or probably the most common thing I've heard is this. I, I have a relationship with Jesus. I, I'm just not into religion. People even like to say it this way. I don't like organized religion. Sometimes people say... I. I like God, I, I just don't like all the hypocrites at church. That was kind of the sentiment of a world leader of past decades named Mahatma Gandhi, an Indian revolutionary leader, and he wrote and said this, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. So I grew up in this thing called the church, and now my calling in life is to hang out with the church, and and yet I've seen a lot of people walk through life expressing those sentiments like I described. Do we really need this? Why do we bother with this? It it seems so broken. It, It seems like I'm always getting frustrated or let down or hurt. In fact, I've got a confession to make. I've certainly been tempted to walk away from church. And the temptations are usually not around my belief. Temptations revolve perhaps around frustrations or hurt, sometimes from the attitudes and actions from other people, sometimes from the attitudes and actions of me. Maybe you've been there, you feel like, I'm just not living up to this thing that is supposed to be who I am. I'm not really worthy to be a part of this, to experience this in the way that it's described. So we have to ask ourselves that question, why bother with church? Can't I just love God and study about him in the comfort of my home and not gather with other people? The answer to that question is found in the origination of the church. And the origination of the church is found in the book of Acts. 
And so that's where we're going to hang out for a few weeks. So if you have your copy of God's Word in whatever format, turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to start at the very beginning of that in Acts chapter 1. But before we do that, I want you to join together with me once more, and let's pray. So God, we've laughed and we've deeply contemplated this question. Why bother with church? And yet we look in your word and we see the church described in ways that is kind of overwhelming to comprehend. The church is your body, Jesus. The church is your bride. The church is a family, the family of God. So we need you to help us in these moments. Teach us what we do not know. Give us what we do not have. Show us what we've not yet become so that we might walk out of here different for your glory. God, I pray specifically for that person in the struggle who may be a part of this service and, and they're wondering, God, give this another shot. Lord, may your purposes come through clearly today. And Lord, we know when that takes place, Jesus, when you were lifted up, that lives are changed, and that's our ultimate prayer, that maybe someone even begins that relationship with you because they were here today. So Lord, let the words I say and even my thoughts please you. You are my strength. You are my redeemer. That is what you do. You redeem so we ask you to do that in this place and begin by redeeming the time. We ask this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Before we can answer the question, why bother with church? We must first ask and answer the question, what is church? What is the church? And while we're going to spend a lot of weeks answering that question, I can tell you today that any answer to that question always begins this way. The church is people. Now, just in case that caught you off guard, you might have learned that as a child. I did. It went like this. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. When you open it up, you see all the people. Really, that could better be given to us if we just started with all the people. Because when you look on the pages of Scripture, what there's no mistake about, what there's crystal clarity about, is that the church is people. Most of us watched this for much of a day a couple weeks ago. We watched the Cathedral of Notre Dame burn in Paris. For the last... 20 years or so, I've been going to France on mission, and so there are people all over the country that have stood in front of that great cathedral with me, and they were texting me throughout the day, and they're saying, have you seen what is happening? Can you believe it? One of the most famous churches in the world is on fire. It's burning. I want to remind you today that that was tragic. 800 plus years of history and architecture. It was very sad to see that spire collapse and to think of all that was lost in that moment. But I want to make something very clear. That was not the church. I want to show you the church. Look at this picture. Here is the church. That's our mission team right in front of that cathedral just a couple of weeks before the fire. We were on mission in London and then to Paris and 
And these people, like you, like us, we are the church. The church is the people. Now that's what we're going to see in the book of Acts. So let's begin to flesh out, flesh out this definition. First thing I want you to see is the church's people focused on a person. A person who changed everything. Jesus. The church is people passionate about Jesus. I want you to see something that's not in that first part of this definition. At no place, nowhere does it say the church is perfect people. Aren't you grateful for that? If the church was a group of perfect people, I certainly could not be a part of it. And you're going to see in this passage of Scripture that even this earliest reflection of the church of Jesus is not a group of perfect people. But they were passionate people. Why were they passionate? They were passionate because they had experienced one who changed their life. So at the core of what the church is, is this understanding that it is people. It is persons who have been changed by a person, Jesus. So if you are a person who have been radically changed by Jesus, you are the church. If you're a member of an organization that calls itself a church, but you have not been radically changed by the person of Jesus Christ, then you are not the church. Baxter Cato describes those gathered when the church was formed. Listen to what he says. As you look around the room, you wouldn't take them for a bunch who are about to put the kettle of history on high boil. They're uneducated, confused, calloused hands, heavy accents. I can relate to that. Few social graces, limited knowledge of the world, no money, undefined leadership, and on and on. No, as you look at this motley crew, you wouldn't wager too many paychecks on their future. But something happens to a man when he witnesses someone who has risen from the dead. And so what you're going to see unfold in the book of Acts is what happens when a group of people encounter the presence and the power of the person of Jesus Christ. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, anybody here named Theophilus? That's a cool name, and it means God lover. And so it's pretty cool that Luke is writing to someone named God lover. And in fact, as we read this, that should be what we think about. He's writing to us because we are God lovers. Oh, Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now listen, Bible scholars, let me ask you a question. Do you know that this is a continuation of the writing of one called Dr. Luke? This is his second letter that he's written to Theophilus. Here's a very tough question. What do we call the book in the Bible that is the first letter? (laughs) It wasn't a tough question. Luke. This is written by Dr. Luke. It's his second book. The first book was called Luke. It's the gospel of Luke. Listen to how that book begins. Verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So you can tell right then this is an educated man that's writing these words. I can hardly read that sentence. 
Inasmuch as we've undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have happened and accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers to the word that was delivered to them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, the most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. If you've just joined us, You're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. And here we see one of the first characteristics of those who would call themselves the church, Christ followers. They are those who have been taught things. They are learners. Think about that. We, just like the first recipients of Luke's letters, just like Theophilus, the God lover, we are learners. Our friend Dr. Charles Lowry has been with us a couple of times. I, he's so funny. I love it. In one of his funny little bits, he talks about how Sunday school is the only school that you never graduate from. I mean, some of you are thinking, good night, am I ever going to graduate from Sunday school? And the answer is kind of intentionally, no. Because the idea is we can never stop learning enough about the things of God, about the life, the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why my message to the graduates today is don't graduate. Don't get to that point where you think, I've got it all. I can stop now. Because that's kind of the crossroads that the disciples were at. They've, they had come to a place where they had watched the death of Jesus. Now they had seen the resurrection of Jesus. Things still were not panning out the way they thought they should. And so they just thought, should we just stop? Should we just go do our thing? Should we just live our life? And maybe you've been there or you know someone who is there when they look at the things of God and particularly the church. Should I just go about my life doing my thing, believing what I want to believe and not worry about other people? And Jesus is going to answer that question But we see that the Christ life is one that continues to learn. When we stop learning, we stop living. He was telling us on the outset that one of the primary purposes of the Christian life is that you keep on keeping on. That's why Paul, the apostle, would write so much about perseverance, about persisting in the faith, staying after it. But the key word in verse 1 of Acts 1 is the word began. It describes a present infinitive linear action, which means it's something that started at a point in time, but is continuing even to this day. It's the same word that Paul would use when he would write in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That, that began at a point of time continues, and that describes the Christ life. There has to be a point in time where it began. You were not always a Christian. You were not always a Christ follower. At some point in your life, you surrender your life to Jesus. That begins it, but that's not an ending point. Scripture never 
teaches what has become modern practice in our faith. That sometime you say a prayer, or you walk down an aisle, or you sign a membership card, you've got your fire insurance, you're not going to hell, and that's all there is. That has never been a part of what the Christ life looks like in Scripture. In Scripture, the Christ life is something that begins at a point in time and continues on even to and through this day. Luke was saying, it's not enough to know about Jesus and what he's done. God wants you to get in on what he's doing right here, right now. So again, we're just diving in. We're just learning what the church is all about. And the first thing we see is it's not okay just to keep looking in the rearview mirror and thinking about yesteryear. If the best days in your faith are in the past, you're not doing it right, regardless of your age. Keep growing, keep learning. And what we learn is that Jesus spent his last 40 days with his disciples talking about something called the kingdom of God. This was not new. We know this is not new because with a conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus began to talk about the kingdom of God. Nicodemus came to him late one night and said, what must a person do to inherit this eternal life you're talking about? How do you get in on the kingdom of God? And Jesus, in response to the kingdom of God, says, you have to be born again. He's talking about that place where it begins. That's where we then have the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have forever life. That's all part of this conversation about the kingdom of God, and the disciples were baffled. What is this kingdom of God thing? When are you going to establish it, Jesus? When are you going to stand back up to Pilate or to to Caiaphas? And when are you going to look them in the eye and say, I'm back? When are you going to pull out your sword like Pete did and, and show them that you can fight? When are we going to see you establish your kingdom? That's what Jesus had been talking about. But the disciples didn't understand it. Do you understand the kingdom of God? Someone has put it this way, the kingdom of God is simply the rule and the reign of the sovereign Jesus in an individual's life. But the kingdom of God doesn't come about by observation, by you just coming to church. And I know this is a little awkward. I was thinking about this this morning. There's no other time in your life where you you spend an hour and a half just standing up and singing, sitting down and listening to someone lecture to you. I mean, this is kind of a God thing. This is not what brings about the kingdom of God. Not by education or observation or information. No, it's when you identify with Jesus by having a moment in your life where you resign as the boss, you surrender control, you acknowledge that he is the one worthy of your focus, your attention, and your leadership. You abandon all to him. Early this morning, I was reading in Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest, and today's reading just reminded us that one reason many people never experience the fullness of the Christian life is because they're not truly abandoned to Christ. Is there an area of your life where you have not abandoned to Him, where where you have not yielded to His kingdom? Is He in residence in your heart today? I want to show you one of my favorite pictures It's a recent picture. It was taken on that same mission trip. Look at this. Isn't that cool? I didn't show you the one where I had Kimberly up in the air. I didn't think that would be nice. But I love this picture because it's me and my bride, but I love it because as someone said when we posted this on Facebook, I just love that you just kind of subtly throw in Buckingham Palace in the background. 
been there a few times, and one of the first times I was there, I, I learned that there was something you could see to tell you whether or not the queen was there. You know what it is? It's whether or not the royal standard, the flag, is flying over the palace. Not the British flag, but the royal standard. If the royal standard is flying, that means the queen is in residence today. What we're reminded for scripture is that everybody sees a flag flying in our life. There's always a flag flying. What we've got to determine is the king's flag flying in our life, demonstrating that he is in residence in our heart today. If his flag is flying, then others will see it. If his flag is not flying, then others will see it. It's all about the person of Jesus. And that's true of the individual and that's true of the church. As the old hymn says, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. That's why we try to remind you from time to time, if you walk out of church saying, boy, that was a great preacher, or boy, wasn't the music great today, or one thing I've never heard anybody say, boy, weren't the lights awesome? (laughs) But if you look to any of those things, and that's what church is to you, you're getting it all wrong If I walk away from church thinking anything more than, isn't my Jesus awesome, then something has not been done right. It's all about him. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I believe when Jesus was talking to Peter and he says, who do you say that I am? They have a little conversation. Then Jesus says, upon this rock. Now there's about three interpretations at least. Some say Jesus was looking at the mountains there outside of Galilee. Upon this rock. I don't believe that's the one. The Catholic church believes he is pointing to Peter and saying, upon this rock. And so Peter became the first pope. That's where they get that from. Upon this rock, you Peter. I'll build my church. I don't believe that. I believe Jesus is saying, look in my eyeballs, boy. Upon this rock. You, Peter, your nickname's the rock. It's not about you, Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And when the church is built upon this rock, not me, Jesus, he's saying, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's why when we make it about us, we have messed up royally. In Christ alone, we have our hope. Is your life focused on Jesus alone today? Is he the standard bearer in your life? Well, the the church is people, and it's focused on a person who's changed everything. That's Jesus. But don't you see something else? We see early in the book of Acts, the church is people empowered by the one who makes all things possible, the Holy Spirit. Now just think about that. If you've been to a few of those Sunday school classes, you have heard something like this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You may have even heard a verse like Ephesians 3.20 that tells us he is able to do abundantly above and beyond more than you've asked or dreamt or even imagined. And then you hear, according to the power that is at work within you. How do you tap into that? Well, look at Acts chapter 1, verse 4. 
And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, this is Jesus, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is telling them, listen guys, there's something really good that's about to happen. You want to make sure you get in on it. Do not miss this. This is going to be powerful for you. And then if you read on a few verses more, which we will in a second, but if you skip down to verse 8, you see at the beginning of that, you will receive this power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Listen, Jesus is gathering with his people, his peeps. And you know what he promises? His power. And that's not changed in 2,000 years. You gather in the name and the presence and the honor of Jesus. He always promises his power. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910.